Welcome to the March 2021 edition of Bookplate. Find us on the web at foreveryoungadult.com. Join a book club chapter in your area or start your own by visiting us online and clicking on the book club link at the top. Don't forget to check out our monthly themed wallpaper created by graphics goddess Mandy C, which is always featured at the top of the page. I am Annie, sound engineer host, and in this book, I am the vibrations of the house. Oh, nice. <laughs> I'm Britt, and in this book, I'm, is his name Ube, the librarian? Yes. Yes, I'm Ube, the librarian. <laughs> and I'm Amanda, and in this book, I am probably the disembodied hands of the painting, because that stuck nice. with me the most, like, <laughs> biggest impact. I did love that Ooh, concept. So scary. The fact that it was her mom's hands, too. Her mom's like... dead hands. <laughs> With the stitches, like. <laughs> Very scary. Loved it. So visceral. Yeah, definitely. This next is our amuse-bouche. The amuse-bouche is the whole bite of what we're going to get into today. Jam lives in the city of Lucille, where there are no monsters anymore. And she believes the story until her mother's painting becomes a portal and Pet, a monstrous-looking entity, comes through. Pet is here to hunt a monster, a monster that looks like a human, which Pet decidedly is not. An allegorical Afrofuturist offering by Akweke Emezi. Do you think it was allegorical? I put that in there. I think it's allegorical. <laughs> and I also had to look up the definition of that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was definitely a world that didn't feel like a real world. It felt like a story world. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, a fable-y kind of world. I mean, I was, I guess, because, like, I'm so used to reading, like, you know, YA dystopia. I'm like, is this a YA utopia? <laughs> yeah. I guess. That's interesting. It is. Until yeah. it's not. But, I mean, the concept is it is they're trying to make a utopia, yeah, right? Yeah. But I saw a lot of different summaries that were calling it folkloric, which I think it is, but I, it feels folkloric to me is, all, is still kind of trapped in, like, a past aesthetic or technology base. And this felt like a futuristic aesthetic and technology base yeah mm -hmm. i mean it had touches of magical realism mm -hmm. but i often hear that like term described like solely for people of color's books so i don't know if my own definition of that is suspect like if i'm putting that on that because of that i don't know that's interesting amanda i as soon as you said that i was trying to think if i knew of any white people books that were called magical realism <laughs> there's the one um it's also it's uh oh my god the girl and the bird i'm blanking oh the one where she wrote ava, the the ava something yes something yes. ava <laughs> remember <laughs> i'm pretty sure that was a white author that's interesting though i wonder why i mean of course, magical realism was created by an author of color, right? So I don't know. That might be it. I, yeah, interesting. So I'll have to think about that. Our next is our other cover take, which I always, we ask our significant others what they think the book is about just by looking at the cover. And Jamal has gotten like shorter and shorter over time, but I asked him <laughs> to look at this one. And he, and you know, there's actually two covers for this, which I didn't know until Jamal looked it up, but he found what looked to be maybe like the original cover, which is a closer view of the of of um, Jam's face. Mm -hmm. The second cover sees a much smaller part of the overall cover, which is the one I read. That's the one I saw. Okay. 
and I think that's the one that I saw the author had a picture of on her um, website. Oh, the author, author uses they them pronouns. Yes, I found that out today. I noticed it in the <laughs> author's note or whatever, something at the end of the book. Well, now I'm following them on Instagram because their story is really interesting. They, their website, they identify as a multidisciplinary artist and that they do like interventions and, and rituals, but then they're known for all of these books that they've written. Like they've written nine books and they were born in 87. So they're younger than me. And I was like having a lot of feels about well. Yeah, <laughs> that's like hateful. <laughs> <laughs> But they seem really cool and joyful and their Instagram is is very much joyful. And I was like, okay, I'm now following this person. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So Jamal said the book is about a person who's being kept or treated like a pet, but escapes somehow. Mm-hmm. I also showed Garrett the cover um, where you can see um, all of Jam and then like she's in the city. And so Garrett said that... Oh, and then there's the tagline, pet is here to hunt a monster. Are you brave enough to look? So he, and then because the words pet in the title have like a feather pattern, he's like, well, the monster must be like some kind of giant bird or peacock. (laughs) (laughs) And then maybe she's in a dream world because she's wearing pajamas and slippers and like standing in this futuristic city. So maybe she has to hunt this monster in her nightmares. And so then I told him the plot of the story and he was disappointed that there were no bird monsters. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, love it. I mean arguably that's not the case but well, i mean he's like it was just angel feathers that's like kind of anticlimactic <laughs> angels are anticlimactic <laughs> as opposed to birds i love it i showed phil the same cover and i told him not to read the words i've made that like oh. an additional challenge you're not allowed to read any taglines you have to Ooh, tell me this from pictures <laughs> and he said it was about a girl who's lost her pet probably a bird and she's looking through the city for it because she's so he thought it was a, like a sweet story, like a middle grade. Like. <laughs> no. I mean, it's a very feminine cover, right? Like it's pink. Mm-hmm. The one that I read looked kind of like childish, almost dollhouse like with the city. Mm-hmm. It very much evokes like a safe kind of child, you know, uh, when I think feminine childhood, like protected childhood mm-hmm. aesthetic. Yeah, it had like um, almost like the idea of like a model city. Mm. Like mm-hmm. she was standing in like a beautiful sanitized representation of a city. Yeah, like a Lego city. I mean, that's kind of why, which actually, now that I say that out loud, that reminds me of the city in A Wrinkle in Time, where it's mm-hmm. all like the same. Oh, yeah. This yeah. Oh, wow. I wonder if that was intentional. Because hmm. very interesting. Okay. Let's move on to appetizers. So this book is is African aesthetic. And so all of the food that they eat is is West African. And the first thing they eat is ake and saltfish, which I had to look up. Ake is a fruit and it's like prepared in a certain way. And then this was for breakfast and then lime avocado toast, which sounded so good to me when they were describing it. I love an avocado toast. I love that avocado toast is like in the future. (laughs) Millennials persist. It also was very familial, like, I think it was her father who was preparing all the food, which is, you know, an act of love, like, Jamal, absolutely, one of his main acts of love is to prepare food for other people, and so that felt, like, very visceral to me, is like, oh, he, this parent clearly loves her in the way he's just, like, even preparing her food for her. I really liked the 
parents' relationship and how it was a distinct thing from, like, the three of them as a family. Because, mm-hmm. I don't know, like, it's it's so hard to think of your parents as, like, people who had a life before you came along. <laughs> and yet, Jam, like, is very clearly able to make that distinction. She's like, okay, this is, like, a them thing. It's none of my business. Versus, like, yeah. this is, like, the three of us as a family. It was kind of cool, too, because, like, the backstory you got, it almost made it seem like her parents were the heroes of the last YA novel. Like, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. they were the ones, like, you got to see that, like, you know, your favorite one true pairing settled after 20 years or whatever. And they were still mm-hmm. happy. It was, like, it was kind of comforting and nice. Yeah, I really, I did really appreciate that. And even when they have an argument or, like, are trying to solve a problem and maybe don't agree with Jam or with each other, they do it in a way that's not, like, it's not traumatic. They just like solve the problem, you know, even though they make a different decision than what Jam makes, they still like work it out together. And there's a lot of like, just function, just highly functioning as a family, mm-hmm. which is not always what we see in YA. Yeah, I love how supportive they seem like, you know, Jam is a trans character and was immediately supported. Yeah. From the time that she first, you know, announced to her parents and she doesn't speak, right? She signs most of her things. Yeah. Um, and that's just completely accepted and no one questions it. And I thought that was really neat. Yeah, I have that listed under dessert, but we can oh, talk I'm, about I'm that now. No, you're fine. <laughs> you don't have my outline. <laughs> <laughs> For this one, I have Afrofuturist Utopia and then I have the just the names. Like, this is one of the reasons why I thought it was more allegorical, but because they have like very specific types of names, they're they're like nouns. Aloe, bitter, redemption. I think one of them's blue, right? And ube is the you know food. I think. Well, I was actually curious as to like how intentional those things were. You know, the mother being bitter yeah. was very interesting to me. Yeah, um, they told the story of her name, right? It was her grandmother named her that because the circumstances of her birth weren't they kind of bitter. Yeah, like it was, it wasn't, it was implied that like she was a product of rape or, yeah, yeah, but it wasn't like directly stated, but it was, it was like a, a monster had attacked her grandmother and then she was born and, you know, her grandmother had named her bitter because of how she came about into the world and, and she didn't mind. She's like, you know, I don't know. Yeah. It's such an interesting, like, okay, well, these are things that like happened before me. So, it is what it is, and I accept it, kind of. Yeah, it's, like, not flinching away from truth. Yeah. In a way, that's really interesting, <laughs> like, just being able to accept that as, like, and I mean, that was sort of the whole thrust of the book, is not obscuring truth anymore. Yeah. Like, just to make things easier. Right, not obscuring truth, or, like, well, I mean, I have questions about it. Yeah. I'm actually like not quite sure exactly how I feel about the book. I really loved the reading of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I loved the book all the way up until the end. And then I was really disappointed in the way the final scene kind of happened. Mm-hmm. And um, once the monster was confronted, what actually happened was extremely, I thought it kind of went against what where I thought the book was going. Um, how so? But let's, let's talk about that. Okay. So I have these things somewhere else, but I have in the main course, I have like humans versus monsters. What makes a monster? The food is the dinner redemption runs away from. Mm. And 
I redemption is the boy's name, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And at the end, when we finally confront the monster, redemption is the one who wants him killed. Yeah. And this book has been working really work actually not even that hard has been doing one of the, some of the best representation of trans identity and disability that I've ever seen in a novel, just like taken as is no question. The parents were supportive. Everyone else doesn't even blink an eye. Everyone else has learned how to sign to communicate with her. It's not a big deal, right? It's just like, this is how you create a community and how you bring in people who, you know, have other experiences into your community and make them feel a part of it and raise them as someone, a part of the community and not separate and like, you know, kind of put away. But then the way that the monster was punished was by blinding him, which is then in, in, in enacting a disability on someone, an, an innate disability, an intentional disability. And I was just like, I don't know how I feel I about the that. same thing. Mm-hmm. I was like, it was pretty bloodthirsty. Yeah, it felt like I'm like, oh, wait, we're using disability as a punishment now. Yeah, I don't know. It felt cathartic, you know, like, if you've experienced sexual trauma, like the idea of something terrible and scarring and a consequence that the person who did that is not able to escape. I can, it can, it's not a good impulse, but it can be cathartic. And it sort of felt like that to me, but it definitely, you would think this community that is so social justice oriented would focus more on restorative justice than. I mean, they did say that, you know, like he was sent to like some kind of rehabilitation in the end. But I wonder if it's just because like, you know, they thought that they had gotten rid of all the monsters and that like allowed monsters to just sort of hide in plain sight. So maybe marking him in a way that like he could not hide, like is a visual mm. reminder that like, like the Nazis and inglorious bastards, the carving the swastika in the forehead. Did you guys see that? Yeah. Yeah. Just... Okay. Yeah. Or like in um, the girl with the dragon tattoo when she carves like, into his stomach or whatever <laughs> she carves like rapist or something into his stomach you know so like that it's you can't escape people can't go back to pretending like oh like we're all fine there's no more monsters here when there's like a visual representation of like one walking around like clearly marked yeah that's a good point that was i mean i think that was the intention yeah. and i think it's supposed to feel like cathartic but i did not feel either of those things yeah i immediately was like oh, now we're, har- I don't think harming this person will help them break the cycle of not being able to identify monsters. I don't think, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. But I think he was supposed to be the example, like, the, you know, the example. I don't think, like, every monster is going to, like, meet the same fate necessarily like mm-hmm. if this story were to go on and they were to like find more monsters i don't think they would all have that same punishment i think he was just sort of like the one to make an example out of so they don't like go back to pretending to not seeing or whatever i don't know i could see it like that i, I just was like really turned off by it i was like why is the person named redemption the one calling for the death of this person mm-hmm. that's not what to me that's not what redemption is but maybe i'm maybe i have a completely different like working definition of it and then when this book has been so good about disability representation, yeah. why are we then using that as a yeah. punishment? Especially because, you know, blindness isn't that far away for many of us, especially glasses users. Like that's a visible disability constantly. And I, as I get older, I'm having like more and more vision issues with like ability to read text and things like that. And I'm like, I'm like, oh, this is be- going to become more of a 
part of my functional reality the older I get. And I don't see it necessarily as like a bad thing or a punishment. It just is what it is. And there were so many other things in the book that are what they were. And I was just upset that all of a sudden we went from being able to have that kind of world, but maybe that's the utopia. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Like it just really turned me off at the end. I was like, I loved this book really up until that last scene. So it wasn't the violence. It was the disability representation. So if they had like cut him up or something in a way that didn't make him disabled, but like was very painful and bloody and violent, would that have bothered you? I'm, I'm, I'm oh, actually I curious because I was I was bothered by the violence itself. But I didn't even think about the disability yeah. representation. That's a really good point. I hadn't thought about. But I mean, how could they like hurt him or mark him in a way that doesn't? Because I mean, like there are people with like facial differences, like and scarring, you know, who are treated differently. And like if they like brand him, then it's like, are we going back to like concentration camps where we're branding people? Like I mean, yeah. I feel like. There is no good answer. Like, what could they do to him that... I guess it's just a reminder that even in, like, the utopian world, people aren't necessarily perfect and there aren't really perfect solutions yeah. to problems. Yeah. There, like, no such thing as utopia, I guess. No, I think I didn't know what they were going to do. I knew they were going to do something. I had no idea. Kind of thought that Pet would do something. I mean, I guess he does, but, like, I thought they, that he would, like, disappear him or, like, the monster is taken away or something or back through the portal and, like... And maybe that's even a worse fate. I don't know. I was just curious how the author was going to do it. And then they they did they did a classic version of it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, I wanted a more like out of the box version yeah. of what this mm-hmm. could be. That's a good point. I was hoping for something that felt more satisfying. But, but again, I think maybe there is no satisfaction in that sort of experience, you know, because there, there, the wound has been created for the next generation. And the family has realized the hurt, right? Mm-hmm. There's no going back mm-hmm. from that. Yeah. I was also sad that it was about child abuse. <laughs> I was like, there could have been so many different versions of this, what a monster is. But it's like and I was, so classic, I I was hoping, though. Like, people don't I, believe children when they tell them. Like, parents don't want to believe that their siblings and friends and parents can do things to their children. And, like, it's really upsetting. And especially in this world where they, they did know about these things and they fought against these things and they still made themselves blind when they were adults to these things. I really like um, that the aunt was also like went to rehab or whatever in the end because like, you know, people who shield and make excuses for abusers like are part of the problem. Yeah, they believe you. Yeah. <laughs> it, um, it's interesting. I was just reading like an essay by, do you know, uh, Virgie Tover? Tovar. No. She's a um, body positive artist who's been writing a lot of body positive works. She's very active on Instagram. She does a podcast called Rebel Eaters Club. And she had posted about like, it, oh, and if, you know, full disclosure, she's an artist that my job funds. <laughs> so I, I, her work. I, I've been following her on Instagram and she posted this uh, article that was like how body positivity helped me go no contact with my family and part of it was this investigation into like family trauma and how she had tried all these different things to kind of like work with them on it and then got to this point where like her, her grandmother's remembered versions of events is different but it is still her truth it will never be what Virgie's remembered you know of event version of events is but because her, of her grandmother's trauma, she has she her her body is in a different flight or flight response, and she has to do things to make her life livable, right? Which means not remembering 
things that are like super real and traumatic for Virgie. And so it's like this cognitive dissonance when Virgie's like, no, my childhood was extremely traumatic. And, and grandma's like, no, it was just, you know, we always went to Disneyland and yeah. like, you know, maybe no one's perfect. And I was thinking, and then I was thinking about that here when you were talking about the aunt, like, you know, we didn't really get into trauma response in the book necessarily, but it it could be to the point where like, if they all had fought this, to your point, Amanda, this, the prequel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then they were now living in this world where like, they all had to do something in order to be able to live their lives. Like, you know, maybe part of that is this, you have a different, mm-hmm. your memory is helping forward. You you know, it's not that bad. That per- he changed. He changed, yeah. right? Like and the dad was always very aloe. He was really quick to shut down any talk of monsters. Like monsters, no, there's no monsters here. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So yeah, that's definitely a trauma response. Definitely. Okay. What else do I have on here? I have. Oh, I have what makes a monster. I mean, I think this is. I think I wanted maybe too much out of this book. <laughs> but, <laughs> it was pretty oh, short. Oh. It was like it's a novella length. It didn't have time to really get in deep. It kind of I like, thought. I mean, it kind of just gave you just enough to where like your imagination can kind of like fill in the gaps, right? Yeah. I was hoping for a more nuanced version of what is a monster, because I think monsters don't necessarily have to like abuse children, right? They, they could, they can just be, there's other ways to be monstrous. And so I was hoping for a more like nuanced version. And maybe that was the surprise is like some people didn't think this person was a monster rather than a very obvious, uh, okay. uh, like no questions asked about the monstrosity of the events, yeah. you know? Mm. I can see that. Um, but it was good. I, I mean, I did like it a lot. For dessert, I have fried plantain, but that's not what they call it in the book. And I can't remember which one of these. I had to look it up, but there's all these different ver- words for fried plantain and slightly different recipes. Aloko, Kalewele, Dodo, Makemba, Misole. I don't remember which one it was in the book, but I know it was fried plantain. I think it was Dodo. Um, was it yeah. Dodo? There's also a term do-do that they use, which is like a, a endearment right, term. Right, but I think like when it was the scene when um, when Redemption came over for dinner and he's like, I'm not that hungry. And the parents are like, yeah, you said that last time. And then oh, he yeah. ate all the way. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Yes. <laughs> I loved that. The, it was the little bits like that that really made the story kind of like feel thick, even though it was thin, you know? There was a lot of joy, um, like in the way the yeah. family interacted with each other and the community and friends and especially Redemption's family, like his household yeah. family. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed their relationships, even though they did. The big multi generational. Yeah. Yeah. So I, this is where I have trans and disability, but like I just really, the story of, uh, Jam's transness was so yeah. short and sweet and just like beautiful so beautiful and we are the the trans anti-trans bills and rhetoric has been like building you know even more so since then since I finished the story and like there are some pretty awful actors out there who don't know the difference between like a blocker versus hormones mm-hmm. and are conflating the two and are trying not to let uh, trans children <laughs> you know, explore their identity in a way that's healthy and safe for them. And a lot more, all these anti-trans bills for sports, but of course it's all about trans women and not trans men. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it's a lot. And I just really appreciated um, this narrative. And I don't think that, that the author, I think they, I mean, they use they, them pronouns, but I do think they identify as trans. So if you look at their, uh, 
you know, Instagram, there's some concepts and images around that. And I, and I just, and I think I also saw something where they now are disabled. I didn't get the full backstory, but so this is an own voices story in writing about the disability and the transness of the character. And I was like, it just felt, it felt more authentic to me. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It was, it was nice. There was not, uh, Jam wasn't the only uh, trans character. It wasn't one of the parents of redemption, non-binary. One of the parents used they, them pronouns. Yeah. So that was nice. Not only just one case or whatever, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I really like that Jam was able to use sign language with the people around her and they signed back because so often it's on the person it's on the disabled person to force themselves to like find a way to you know communicate rather than other people providing accommodations for them and so yeah. like everybody accommodated her which is great and like didn't question when she used her voice versus when she signed right because there's so much like there's so many people who are just so concerned with like catching disability fakers gotcha yeah. so like you know amb ambulatory wheelchair users exist right so like somebody will be in a wheelchair and yeah. need it one day and not need it another day or need it for certain circumstances and not for the other and people will just be like oh my god you're faking so like i can only imagine if it was like you know in our society today that jam would like go back and forth between signing and speaking that like people would accuse her of like faking a disability or whatever which is ridiculous and they didn't even get into whether it was disability. It was just something emotionally that felt right, right to her to yeah. sign. You know, it wasn't. And I thought that was great, too, that it's emotional. And they're like, that's a perfectly good yeah. reason to meet someone at their yeah. level. I was thinking it might be like some autism representation. I could see, especially with the like way she was like touching the house and feeling the vibrations and different things that it seemed like maybe that was part of the intention as well. I mean, I, they don't, she doesn't say it in the book, but I yeah, I really liked it. And I just like, I love that, yeah. like, everybody knew how to sign. Why I'm like, why don't we? we all know how to sign? <laughs> why don't they teach that instead of French <laughs> in eighth grade? <laughs> yeah, it would be so useful. Yeah. That was another yeah. part of the joy for me, was just like, this is so cool, and it feels good, and it doesn't feel heavy. It just feels as is, right? Mm -hmm. A given. Yeah. Um, and then the last thing I have for drinks is blood. <laughs> because <laughs> I drink blood. <laughs> <laughs> drink her blood essentially i love it <laughs> to become real and i have like the terribleness of angels the terrible righteousness but um i love when angel representation is like real angels yeah who are yeah. scary as fuck. <laughs> that painting description i was like this is a YA book i'm terrified i'm like a horror movie person too and i read horror and i watch horror all the time and i was like oh my god they're razor blades in his chest <laughs> <laughs> dead hands of her mom <laughs> like I like I'm picturing how this looks and I'm so scared and then he comes out of the painting or pet comes out of the painting and she's just like oh well that's weird okay let's be friends <laughs> like <laughs> <laughs> you are much more sanguine than I am <laughs> I, I mean I definitely thought that was commentary on like the things that looks the most different from us is not does not make something monstrous yeah because right? pet got really upset when um like once or twice when she called him a monster or said something like or thought that <laughs> thought that he was a monster and he's like i heard that <laughs> you know <laughs> 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 yeah i don't know i just 
for whatever reason, I know like there was a very like visceral description, but I just pictured Pet as like a giant lion for some reason <laughs> that was like following her around. Mm. And maybe it's because of like the descriptions of purring and growling or whatever. But like the times uh, when mm. um, Pet would get impatient because they'd start talking about like hunting and just, I don't know, I'm just imagining this like giant lion trying to like tamper down its like bloodthirstiness. <laughs> just being like yes <laughs> and she's like calm the fuck down like, we're not there yet and he's like hunt. <laughs> I love how assertive she was about like that and just like the whole all of it she was, I mean the thing I really loved about Pet was like his commentary on her comment or you said it's it, the pronouns yeah. are it for Pet it, it's not human it's <laughs> it's common on like her decisions you know there was one of my favorite lines was like okay I'll let you tell your friend your half truths the audiobook I really loved the reader the the guy who read it it was like a deep resonant voice it was very nice yeah. I did the regular book yeah Sam I don't think you had this anywhere but I just wanted to like recognize slash give a shout out to the librarian and like libraries as safe spaces I just love that like that the library was just her her safe space and you know and that there was like another trusted adult that they could talk to and like get information from and he's just like there to help and support and not judge and not question and and he was like he wanted to actually talk about the possibility of yeah. monsters. Like he was yeah. open to it and like willing to be somebody that could listen instead of just immediately like, well, there's no monsters here, so I don't even know why yeah. you want to know this. Like, that's good. I did forget to put it. I should every time there's a library, <laughs> I know I need to put it in. But like <laughs> again, we talked library is a YA trope in general as a sacred place, like a place of knowledge, a place of safety a place of like, there's so many different versions of it, but I love it. Even though there can be scary things like the library in the Akata Warrior. Well, if you read Akata Witch in the basement, there's a very scary thing. And there's some other versions too, but they're just like classic favorite thing. And of course, you know, when I was growing up as a kid, the library was a sanctuary for me mm-hmm. personally, just like a place to be where I people and interact with people yeah. and could like find all the books you know yeah. I also love that the librarian signed with her too because it's not just her immediate family and friends it's like a whole community that like this is just a thing that is normal yeah it was great and he was also disabled you know like yes yeah he was in a wheelchair wasn't he mm-hmm. yeah mm. I wanted his backstory <laughs> he sounded badass <laughs> and then I liked how redemption was losing her like she had a crush on him yeah <laughs> I mean who wouldn't right <laughs> Yeah, that's all I have. Are there anything anything else we should add? I don't think so. It's just worth giving a shot. It's short. It's, you know, interesting. It does several things really better than I've seen anybody else do. <laughs> so definitely yeah. worth your time. I could definitely see it being taught also. Mm-hmm. This would be a good book t- to yeah. have like a class discussion about. Okay, well with that. All right, book up a seat.